You are listening to the Reality Steve podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's got all the latest info and behind the scenes juice on Zach's season of The Bachelor and interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. Now, here's Reality Steve. What's up, everybody? Welcome to podcast number 324. I am your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good show for you today. A multi-time guest is back. It is Kate Casey from the Reality Life podcast. I wanted to talk to her about her early impressions of The Bachelor, some other things going on in the reality TV world, and we spend the last half of the podcast talking about the unfortunate murder of of those four college students at the University of Idaho. She's been talking on her podcast to a former FBI agent. She's on part six with them. It's been really good stuff. So either you have been following it and you maybe heard all this stuff or maybe you've been following it on the periphery like I have. A lot of good stuff to get to there with Kate, and uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. But just wanted to let you know that we are at... Like I said, this is podcast number 324. Your daily roundup should be in your feed already from earlier this morning. The Sports Daily, which is a podcast I started at the beginning of last month, is also up today. And you know Thursdays, three podcasts, Daily Roundup, the Sports Daily, and my weekly Thursday podcast with a guest. I will say this. I talk about this at the end of the podcast as well. But starting next week, I'm going to be covering a reality show that I've collaborated with, they came to me and they wanted to use my audience to get people tuned in to their show, which launches on Valentine's Day, February 14th. So next week, assuming everything goes as planned, which it should, we are going to have on the creator of this reality show. And it's a dating show, but it is definitely different. And I've seen the first two episodes. I really like it. I think I, I hope a lot of you take the time to watch it because I think it's actually more important in terms of what they're doing. And it's kind of unlike reality shows we've seen. The concept, pretty much the same. A lead, bunch of people in the house, there are eliminations, stuff like that. That concept doesn't change. But the who that's involved I think is interesting and I find it less less exploitative than past shows, to say the least. So you'll know all about more about that next week, but I just wanted to get that in there. That's going to be the focal point of the Thursday podcast the next few weeks. We're going to have on the creator. We're going to have on the host of the show. Probably have on a couple of the eliminated contestants as well um, going forward. So it should be interesting, and um, it's a new world for me uh, to dive into this. And I'm looking forward to it. I really am because I really like the first two episodes. You know, I don't collab with anybody who I don't think that my audience cares about or would like in terms of the shows that I've promoted. You know, who have I told you to what? What have I told you to watch in the past? I've told you to watch 12 Dates of Christmas. Really good show. Temptation Island. Joe Millionaire. You know, these shows that um, well, Joe Millionaire, I didn't even collaborate with. I just liked the show and I wanted to promote it as much as I could. But. You know, those are the type of shows that I've brought to you over the years, and a lot of you have thanked me for turning you on to them. And uh, I think this one is a really good one. It is different in a way that I will that I will tell you about next week. But um, I hope you give it a chance. I really do because I can't wait to watch the rest of it. 
kind of see how it plays out, but really important stuff, and I wanted to give you a heads up on that. That's going to be the next few weeks of the Thursday podcast. Maybe I even include the uh, one of the interviews on a, on a daily roundup. We'll see. We'll just see how it goes. But also, like I said, daily roundup is up. We talk a lot about today what Caitlin Bristow said on the Not Skinny But Not Fat podcast with Amanda Hirsch. She dove into some stuff that we've kind of heard over the years, but... You know, when it's all in one podcast, there's a lot of good content to go over. So I go over that today in the in the daily roundup, as well as, you know, again, one thing with the spoilers, you maybe saw it in the reader emails yesterday. The only reason I'm bringing it up again is because I got a few more emails about it yesterday saying like, well, why don't you tell us or, you know, you don't know anything about this season. And it's just like, yeah, I don't know the ending. I've given you everything up to the final three. I was spoiling stuff as it was happening. I was giving you videos. I was giving you pictures. I was telling you where dates were going to be. I told you all the travel spots. But I've never said at any point since filming ended right before Thanksgiving that I knew who he picked. I have not been told he picked Gabby. I have not been told he picked Ariel. And I have not been told he picked Katie. But I'm waiting. And when I do, you'll know. You know, I, I, I get there are other sites out there that say all these things and they put stuff out there. It's like, great. That's what they do. I don't concern myself with them. They concern themselves with me because they post everything that I say. I don't post what other people say. It's just the way it's always been. And I'm not going to. I'm not going to give them the time of day because I don't need to. I hear from my sources. And when my sources tell me who wins, I'll tell you who it is. And... um. If it happens to match up with what's been out there for the last couple months, great. But that doesn't concern me because I don't go and make my site about things that are said or I have to be the first one. If I had to be the first one, wouldn't I have already put something out there knowing that somebody else has already put something out there about who Zach chose? So clearly I don't have to be the first one. I don't care. I know people are going to come here to get their spoilers. And I know that even though it's been out there, you know how many times I've been asked, well, what do you think about this spoiler? I'm like, great. I don't know. I haven't heard of that. I haven't heard that, but I haven't heard anything opposite. I just haven't heard anything about who Zach picked. So that's kind of where we're at with that. I know after yesterday's um, reader emails, it was in there because Yahoo did a giant article, which basically laid out the whole season, which was a cut and paste job of my spoilers page, but at least they credited me. I mean, that's all I care about. If you're going to put out the spoilers and literally do episode by episode spoilers and there's only one site out there that has episode by episode spoilers and that's mine. And they put it out there and they credited me, which I, I, you know, I'm glad they did, but it turned into this. Well, this other site is reporting this. It's like, okay, great. Let them doesn't concern me. Not going to engage with, with other sites that put stuff out there that we have no idea if it's true or not. Why? There's no point that they, they, they don't concern me. What I do, they can, they're concerned about because all my stuff ends up on their page anyway. The second you see me put somebody else's Instagram page stuff on my Instagram or my website will be the first, you know, it's kind of the way it works. So that's why I don't concern myself with them. Um, and they concern themselves with me. Everything I write and everything I say ends up on their page. So kind of funny, kind of funny. Anyway, um, there's that. Uh, like I said, the Sports Daily is also up on my uh, on my Sports Daily feed. It's a different feed than the Reality C podcast, so you can check that out. Tom Brady retiring is a big topic in today's Sports Daily podcast, so check that out if you are so inclined. But, yeah, good talk today with um, 
with Kate Casey, and uh, we'll get to that in a second. As you know, this podcast is brought to you by Trivia Star. If I were to ask you to name a movie by John Travolta or Tom Hanks, could you answer it in under 15 seconds? You probably could. Very easy. Um, With that said, if you can do that, you want to play Trivia Star because it's a free mobile trivia game with over 60 different categories that you get to choose from, including music, TV, animals, celebrities, sports. If you choose the correct answer from multiple choices and beat the clock, you move on to the next level. Obviously, the questions get harder the more questions you get right. But if you get stuck, don't worry. You can use coins and gems to get hints and beat the level. If you like trivia like I do, which I do, you'll love Trivia Star. Obviously, I stick to basically sports and entertainment. That's what I probably specialize in when it comes to trivia. But some of them get really hard, and I'm just like, wait a second. And I need to use those coins and gems that they give you right now. Trivia Trivia Star is offering you 2,500 coins and 500 gems when you download and play. It has thousands of five-star reviews in the Apple Store. It's the number one trivia game on the App Store. Download it today to challenge yourself. Go to Apple or Google Store and search for Trivia Star. Download Trivia Star for free today and get ready to flex your brain muscles. Also, if you love The Real Housewives, which I talk a little bit about today in the podcast with Kate Casey, get ready for some Real House guys because Friday nights on MTV are getting fabulous. Tomorrow at 9, 8 central, more episodes of The Real Friends of WeHo, the lives of six fierce West Hollywood friends like celeb stylist Brad Goreski go inside his marriage and see inside of himself you can't miss. Performer extraordinaire Todrick Hall ready to tell his side of the story. Television superhost James Vaughn taking his career to the next level. We got rising actor Curtis Hamilton, boss CEO Dorian Renaud, and major social media influencer Joey Zazig. Watch as they balance life in the spotlight and give a true VIP access into their lifestyles, their ambition, and all the shade that you can handle. Don't miss The Real Friends of WeHo, all part of MTV's new Friday nights after RuPaul's Drag Race, tomorrow night, 9, 8 central on MTV. All right, let's get going. Here we go. Podcast number 324. All right, let's bring her in. We are joined by another multi-time guest on this show. She covers all things uh, reality TV and and then some on her podcast, Reality Life with Kate Casey. It is Kate Casey. Kate, how you doing? Good. Thank you for having me back. No problem. Let's start off talking about The Bachelor. Um, you okay. and you live in Orange County. I grew up in Orange County. Our Bachelor is from Orange County. How about that? Although, let me just say, for people that aren't familiar with Orange County, California, it's very big. And the Orange County that you see in the Real Housewives show, the Orange County that you see when they filmed uh, the reality show Laguna Beach, and when they did a depiction on Fox's show The OC, I wouldn't say that's the Orange County where where Zach grew up. I'm not saying he grew up in a bad part of Orange County, but Anaheim is not <laughs> Newport Beach, Newport Coast, Laguna Hills, San Clemente. No, it's not any of those places. But um, we do have an OC Bachelor. How about that? What, what, what do you what do you think after two episodes uh, of Zach so far? I think he I think he reminds me of like the the old time bachelors. He's sweet. I like that he has a career. He works for Oracle and tech sales. He comes from a very down earth family. His mom's a special ed teacher. His father, I believe, is like a firefighter or maybe he's retired. But he lives in he's from Anaheim. Anaheim is inland. Yeah. And it's really down to earth, very suburban, really good people. Um, so he, he reminds me of what the bachelor was supposed to be, which was 
a, a guy who is a professional person who is from a nice family and just um, has been busy with work and ultimately hasn't been able to find somebody. So I like that. Uh, he's clearly somebody that is very easy to work with, which I think is very helpful to the producers. And at first, at the after rose ceremony, he just seems super frazzled. And I thought he needs some media training. And it looks like he's a little bit more comfortable. But at the same time, I think that makes him kind of sweet. You know, he's kind of uncomfortable in moments and you can see it. He doesn't seem douchey, yeah. which I think is great. I like him, um, but I do believe that they're already making Christina Mandrell the next Bachelorette. I don't know if they cast her purposely to be the next Bachelorette, but she sure as hell will be now that she's been on the show. Uh, okay. Um, are you familiar with spoilers on this season or no? Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, okay. You can tell me. But but by the way, I'm such a dork that I already knew. Uh, the minute I saw her on screen, I'm like, oh, she's one of – it's a Christina Mandrell. I'm like, oh, she's she's got to be one of the Mandrell kids. Yeah. Her – her mom and aunts were very popular for our parents' age. Oh, yeah. um, very attractive, almost crossed over into pop culture. So I have to say, they would be idiots not to have her as the next Bachelorette. And by the way, you're about to spoil it and all. That's fine. Great. Um, but I have to say, if I were a reality TV producer, I would scoop her up because she should have her own show on like CMT. So when I was growing up, I just, you know, like you said, this was the Mandrell sisters were for our parents. They weren't for us. We were young. Um, but I always heard about them. Barbara Mandrell and the Mandrell sisters. But I didn't know. Did they, was it a television show that they had? Was it almost yeah, like they a, had, Yeah, they had a television show. Okay. Yep. It, was okay. like a, it was like a variety show. And two of them were blonde and one was brunette. And they were just super gorgeous. Just like Christina is. Just very bubbly and pretty. But... There was a wholesomeness to their show that really uh, they kind of perpetuated this like wholesome image of like country pop singing family. And she is the daughter of Erlene Mandrell. Correct. I forget if that's the correct pronunciation. Erlene, right? There's Erlene. Yep. There's Barbara, Erlene, and I forgot the third one. Do you know the third one's name? Yeah. I can't remember off the top of my head, but Barbara Mandrell. Honestly, it was like the bigger, the biggest deal of all of them. Yeah, the other two were kind of like lesser, lesser known. But you would certainly, like, our parents would see the three of them together and be like, "Oh, it's the Mandrell sisters." They were almost like a poor man's Dolly Parton kind of thing. Yeah. Well, here's the deal. Um, Christina goes home next episode, so it means she finishes. She means she finishes in 14th place. They've had 19 bachelorettes that have been the bachelorette on this show. Only two of them finished outside of top four. Hannah Brown finished seventh. Katie Thurston finished 11th. I don't see any way she's getting the bachelorette gig. We're just not going to be invested enough into her story. We're not going to see her family. We're not going to see him develop any sort of relationship with her. I think she's easily first person down to paradise this summer, but she's not going to be the bachelorette. She finishes way too far back. Uh, they they should just give her her own show. They don't even se- don't even send her to paradise because she's 25 and she has I don't know if you're aware of this but like with the ex he married a girl that looks exactly like her yeah. and they do these videos where it's like modern family like you're a dumbass producer if you don't give her her own show. 
Well, I don't know. I mean, the show only has two spinoff shows, Bachelorette and Paradise. I don't know who would get. I mean, someone else could have to give her own show. Well, it wouldn't no, be ABC. Well, it, doesn't ha- yeah, it doesn't have to be under the Bachelor handle. But if I'm yeah. Mike Slice, she probably contractually, you know, they've got first dibs on something that she does. Who knows yeah. what the what the what that is? But yeah, if I'm Mike Slice, I'm like, yeah, just CMT. I got your next big star. Yeah, I think did, I I don't know what her background is other than I know that she models uh, for Pink Lily. People have told me that's a major brand. I guess she's a she's one of the main models for Pink Lily. Um, obviously, we know she has a five year old daughter. I did know that she's very close uh, with her ex husband. Like they do do videos together. She's friends with the uh, ex husband's new wife, uh, and they are very chummy. Um, other than that, I don't know too much about her in terms of what she does in Nashville. Does she sing? Is she a singer or anything? Or um, well, but gotta be honest with you, in the year twenty twenty three, do you have to have a talent anymore to have a reality show? <laughs> no. I mean, no. She could make. She could like paint sticks, and who cares? It's still a reality show. Yeah, I think that she. Um, I still think she's going to do Paradise, but uh, I because she's going to be someone that they want to capitalize on, and I, you know. Um, like you said, I she's not going to be able to do um, anything on her own or get her own show that isn't under the Bachelor umbrella for at least, I think, a year from the time the finale airs. So um, anything she does will oh, have to be controlled by the show. Yeah, and they don't just give spinoff shows to contestants because I've heard that for years. Like, oh, so-and-so should get their own show. They're so entertaining. And it's just like, okay, nothing ever really happens with it. But um no, I think she will be a name in this franchise. I think not only will she be one of the first people down to paradise, I think she'll be one of the more coveted women uh, this season by the men. I think she's you know super attractive, like you said, bubbly, great personality, and you know we'll see how we'll see how things go for her next episode. It, the reason she's gone after three episodes is not because she had the greatest attitude on the show. So we'll see how her edit goes and exactly what they portray, but. Um, no doubt in my mind, uh, assuming that she's single come June, I, I don't see any way she's not one of the first women down to paradise, if not the first I one. Do, I do like the casting this season. I don't know. It just I feel like uh, there were a couple seasons of this show where I was like, this show sucks. Yeah. But I'm, I'm kind of like into it again. I, it's like, it, you know what? For uh, God, God bless them. I don't know how they did it, but it seems very like sweet again. I think that they're like, listen, Zach. You got to make this dream happen for us. We need to bring out the most romantic story of the world. And you got to just cry your face off, whatever you need to do to make this train keep going. And I do think he's doing a good job. (laughs) After two episodes, I think I can't remember any Bachelor. and, And this is no shot at him. This is just facts. I don't remember any Bachelor that cried as much as he did in episode number two. Literally, no. cri- literally <laughs> cried finding out that one of his dates had a daughter, and he also cried. He also um, broke into tears on something else. Maybe it was when he was telling. Oh, it's Jess- a personal tragedy. It was yeah. a personal tragedy card when he said he had pyloric stenosis. Which yes. the nurses in my Facebook group were like, "Heads up, that's absolutely ridiculous. Like, that's not life threatening unless he grew up in a third world country. I don't know what he's talking about." And they pointed out, which I thought was a very wise observation, that he told that to Jess, who is an e-commerce person and not one of the many nurses that are cast for the show. <laughs> that was pretty strategic because one of the nurses would have been like, like, are we kidding here? Like, yeah. what, are you serious? I got the same thing. <laughs> I had two people that messaged me and said, this is not life threatening. And then once I, po- 
I actually posted those emails and I said, look, I don't want to take away the guy's story. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it was worse for him. And so I posted those two people's emails. And then I had two nurses come to me and say, well, Steve, technically, if it's not detected, it absolutely could be life threatening. And maybe that was the case for him. Like they didn't say like they basically said both of them could be right. Yes. If detected early, not life threatening at all. But if you don't know what it is and you're thinking it's something else and you're thinking it's acid reflux, yes, it could possibly be um, life-threatening. So they were like basically saying both could be right. But And I don't want to take away the guy's story. Like, Zach, you're a liar. You didn't almost die. It's like, I don't know. I wasn't there. But you know what? If, if we're going to be talk strategy and I was his agent, I think I would have gone a different route. Like, did, did, wait, is, was his dad a retired – is he a retired fireman? I want to say his dad is retired, yes. Okay, so I would have said if I were his agent, and I do want to just say that if somebody wants to be on the show and they do need advice, I'm very willing to help. But I would have talked more about what it was like to be the child of a firefighter when your dad doesn't come home because he's at work for three hours and being terrified of like him going into a burning building, but being so grateful that so many people in the community adore my dad because of what he's done. That I would have gone that route because I don't think anybody else has done that on the show thus far and thereby solidifying him as a very warm-hearted, normal, relatable person. You know, I'm fine with the way Zach has been, like I said, these first two episodes. The crying doesn't bother me at all. Like, he seems um, vulnerable. And to do it this early in the show, you just don't get that from Bachelors. And I, I hope it's sincere. I hope he's not putting on an act uh, for this. But I think he's been fine these first two episodes, almost to the point of, wow, a guy that, you know, isn't yeah. really getting involved in the stupid drama and cutting stuff off at the pass and just been like kind of standing his ground on on things that, you know, there hasn't been anything major. Tazwan showing up. It's like, OK, I wish they would have shown us the conversation where he actually sent her home, not just, hey, Tazwan, can I talk to you? And then coming back to the women and saying, I couldn't do it. It's like, OK, well, why? What was the what was the reason? But. I think he's been fine for two episodes. I have no problem with Zach so far. Yeah, I think he's a good bachelor. And I think the girls are great. I think I like how many of them um, have really interesting careers. Even the girl that's in the rodeo, I'm like, that's yeah. kind of interesting. It's different. Yeah, the barrel racer, for sure. Yeah, I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, and I think this season, obviously, we've got some uh, – there will be you know some drama coming up and um, – <laughs> But they do, you know, this isn't like, you know, because we're 46 seasons in, you think, oh, maybe they're skimping on travel locations or whatever, because maybe we got, uh, you know, a little bothered by the fact that, you know, COVID hit and they couldn't go places. They went to La Quinta. They went to Nemecolon. They went to. Yeah, Alba we're due for it. <laughs> yeah, we're we're due for some trips. But also um, Game of Roses podcast, which I did a crossover, they let me know that you, it was your beautiful reporting, yeah. astute reporting that their book is brought up in, in the season. And that, to me, is something that I'm super excited about. Thank you for reporting <laughs> that because that even gives me more uh, excitement about the season. Well, <laughs> what I can say is, and what I, you know, what I had reported and what I had told Chad um, was that I had heard that one of the girls is reading his book this season, but it happens in L.A. But my thing was when I told Chad before I – actually reported it publicly was like, Chad, I don't know if this is going to make it on air. I just know it happened. So there's a good chance that storyline doesn't even get told because it wasn't even a big deal in the house. I just know it happened. So my guess is 
there's only one episode left where they could show it because it happened in LA and next Monday's episode is the last episode in LA before travel starts. And my guess is it's not even going to get shown. I just don't think it ended up being a big deal. Uh, I think the other women either didn't care or the show doesn't want to cover it, but I, I'd be stunned if it gets covered on the show, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. Just like, Hey, during the first rose ceremony, Leica interrupted the rose ceremony to say that she never got a chance to talk to him and called out producers. That wasn't shown. Taswan wasn't shown. Brianna winning the group date with Lotto, the rapper. She was she was the actually declared the winner and given a bunch of gifts. That wasn't shown. So it's just like it's just another thing that happened during the season that I was able to report. But unfortunately, I, I don't think the Game of Roses book and uh, Gabby reading the book is going to get shown. But uh. Bummer. Yeah, okay. It sucks. Yeah. And, you know, I told Chad because Chad and I were really going back and forth on this because I, when I told him about it, I'm like, man, I've got something for you. But the problem is I know you're going to have questions and I have questions <laughs> and I just don't have any answers to it. I just yeah, exactly. the only thing I know about the situation is she was reading the book at the mansion and that's it. I go, I don't know how the book got in there, if it was planted by producers, if it's going to be a storyline, if the other women even cared what did getting mm-hmm. caught mean? It was it even a big deal? Like I said, I don't know answers to any of this. I just know what happened. So, yeah, I don't think it's getting shown uh, next episode. But, you know, we'll see. Bummer. Um, Bummer. All right. Now, with you coming on the show, every time you come on, uh, we talk about things and shows that I, like, see on the periphery and I, but I, I never end up watching or I, I have to start watching or whatever or I read headlines but never – dive into the story the first thing i want to talk about um that i saw and i don't even know this is true once again i saw a headline and i didn't even click on the story so i could have oh i know what you're gonna ask i know what you're gonna ask i could have been tricked by clickbait um (laughs) did brandy glanville get kicked off the reunion the 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 new show where they all go on vacation is that true Mm -hmm. yeah so there's a real housewives ultimate girls trip where they take and by the way, they should do this for the bachelor. There's somebody, by the way, Chad and Lizzie should write a book about how to win housewives in the same way they did the bachelor. I mean, these shows are so similar. Um, yeah. So they take a bunch of housewives from different seasons and take them to a different part of the world. In this case, they took them to Morocco. So they're filming for 10 days. And the reports were that in the last two days of filming, that Brandy was sent home early and that Caroline also left and that apparently brandy may have tried to kiss her um one or more times and that caroline rebuffed it and complained these are the reports that are coming out here's the problem we're not going to really know the full details for like another seven eight months when this darn thing ends up airing which Mm. is super annoying yeah so god only knows what actually happened and also what airs much to your point about the book uh, on the bachelor. So I'm, I'm not sure, but what I do know is this Brandy always pushes boundaries. That's why she's hired for shows. She is a kind of person that we all kind of know who is sometimes reactionary and sensitive and make, and says things sometimes even when drinking and then apologizes for it later. So it might, it's either horrible or not that bad. Yeah, I think it kind of just depends on what we see um, and what they tell in different interviews. I know that Caroline did an interview, or at least it seems she did, if you know what I mean, with People Magazine. And her position was that 
she rebuffed advances and ultimately the other women supported her and she left as well. Uh, so those two left a day early because the, after they left, they filmed this last day of filming, like a, like a dinner party. Um, oh, it was, a, it Brandy, was at the end of filming. Oh, okay. It was, oh, was that the, it was the last, it was uh, oh. the, second, the last day of filming. Oh. However, Brandy hasn't spoken yet. So I think we should all just kind of like wait and see what happens. But the good thing about Brandy and the good thing about Caroline is they're both pretty uh, direct, hence why they're invited to be participants on this crazy show. Yeah. So in time, we'll kind of figure out what happened. But my issue with Housewives is it used to be almost like in the early days, it was almost felt like a docu-follow where you're watching women raising children, being married in like suburbia or whatever city they live in. And it really should tell the story of the women that live in that city. So your experience watching Atlanta is different than Beverly Hills, than New Jersey, than Salt Lake City. New Jersey, you're going to get a bunch of suburban housewives and a lot of them are related and they all have grievances with each other and hate each other. But Beverly Hills is like, a city which is all based on uh, who you know, how successful you are, and people in LA look past your shoulder because they're looking for the most interesting person that's in the back of the room. Like, you're never interesting enough. So, what's interesting about um, the Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip is that you're meshing <clears throat> all those different personalities and what they bring to their own individual shows. Um, but what I don't like is that in the last couple of years, it's like so over the top where I feel like there are producers whispering in their ears, like, you know what, this would, would be great. And it's kind of like gone off course in the same way you could say that about the bachelor where yeah. are there, are there producers going, you know what, like, if you want to be a villain and win this show, you should be diabolical and here's how to do it. I think the same thing happens on Housewives to the point where it's so many of those shows are unwatchable. Like they just had an episode of Potomac and a bunch of women uh, were celebrating the remarriage of one of the castmates to the same guy. And they went to like a strip joint in DC and it's like all of them are eating steaks and lobsters while there are women like riding around them on poles. And you're like, I mean, does this happen? Probably. But is this like really what their lives are? Probably not. But it's a producer going, you know, it'd be super funny. Why don't we humiliate you guys by taking you somewhere where you're uncomfortable and having you eat like a full three course meal where you can argue about about something stupid. It's not like I'm struggling because my kids are going off to college. I'm worried about my health. I'm trying to keep my marriage together. Um, I have like fertility issues. Um, I lost my friend, like nothing that's relatable anymore. So I don't know. It could be going off the cliff. That's interesting. Um, I know that one of the times that we last spoke, I think, I think it was definitely the last time we spoke, we were talking about, um, actually it might've been the time before we were talking about selling sunset as one of the shows that, um, you know, is this real? Is it not? Are these people even realtors and whatnot? And then, don't they have now a – I know they have other cities. Uh, Miami, I think, is one of them. And don't they have an OC one now? And isn't there something going on between the girl from – see, this? I, I'm so on the periphery yeah. about no, these No, no, no. You're going to want to watch. You're going to want to watch Selling the OC and here's Selling why. the OC. Okay, because Sell, Brittany Snow. Selling, 
right? Right. So okay. selling Sunset was it would basically became a caricature. It's like girls wearing dresses that they'd wear to a nightclub to sell like a three bedroom house in the hills. And you're like, mm, that's does that's and you know who's selling the houses in the hills? A woman who's like sixty years old and has been in the business for forty years. Like it's not someone who's like, ah, I was like modeling last week, but now I'm gonna sell real estate. Like, wait, what? And they show up to the office and they don't even bring like a computer or their phone. They're, it's like Christine Quinn, God love her. I do love her. But she would be bringing like a change purse to like the office and like six inch heels and a maze skirt. And you're like, this is really stupid. So what I liked about selling the OC and you will as, as well as this. Everybody at that point was plucked from obscurity. You didn't know who any of those people were. So you could, they're kind of like all on the same base level, which is we're going to come and we're, even though like we all sell real estate now, there may be an opportunity in a couple of years in the future for us to be TV stars, but we don't know if this show is going to last. And we don't even know if we're hot enough to be on TV. So we're all just like at the same line. While they film the show, they have all these interpersonal issues within, within the work setting and socially. And then you have Tyler Staniland. And so I interviewed him. Uh, right before it was announced that he and his wife were separating. And what you should know about Tyler is this. He's from Laguna Beach. He was like a professional surfer for a couple of years. And his dad owns a major real estate firm and is like a real estate all-star. So he's selling real estate there and happens to marry Brittany Snow, who, you know, from like Pitch Perfect and a bunch of other television shows. Yeah. And you don't see her on the show because you know she was probably like, I have a real career. I'm not going to be on this dumb reality show. But because it's 2022, 2023, you and I both know reality stars are almost more famous than TV and movie stars in some ways. So then you see that's flipped the script where more people probably know who this guy is because he's super hot. Add to that, the show starts airing and he's like pushing boundaries with a couple girls who also are super hot. And you're like, is he cheating on her? And then as the show's airing, it's announced, and it was like a week after I had interviewed him and he said they wanted to have kids, they're like separating. <laughs> so it's like on-screen drama and off-screen drama, and everybody is on the same level playing field. So it's got all these elements that you and I really like about shows. So has that aired yet? Have we seen him go through the divorce on the show and start hitting no, on these work workers? That's what you have to look forward to. So okay, you can still so watch season yet. one where you get to see all the players in this office. And you, so you get a good idea of like who, who are the power players, what's really going on. You can also listen to my episode when I go through their, their careers and I list uh, how many deals they've had in the last two years. So you can really know like who's really selling real estate and who doesn't. They also have two girls that are almost like two Christine Quinns who are villainous and they both are presenting themselves as a real estate agents that sell $15 million properties. But you're like, there's no way in hell that's possible. So you're going to be like Googling as you watch the show, which is always my favorite to be like, is this real or not? What you have to look forward to afterward is that season two is going to air soon. And we get to see the fallout of Tyler's divorce and figure out, is he still or has he ever boned Alex Hall? And I have to say, they just went on that Dubai trip that all those reality stars went on. And they were together, um, filmed and photographed together. And every time they're together, they're just very super flirty. People spot them here in town, mm. in Newport, at, at like sushi dinner, and they look very intertwined. But then again, 
it could be just an office romance where you don't actually like have sex with each other but it's like so over the top flirtatious that people would just assume it is but it just gives you enough that you want to go to work on monday so you brought up something that i didn't even wasn't even planning on talking about but you brought it up and now i want to know a little bit more because again i'm on the periphery on something like this this whole thing that happened in dubai I don't even know what it was. People were asking me, why are some of the Bachelor people in Dubai? I'm like, I have no idea. Can you explain to me what this was? I don't know what it was and why all these people were there. I got to be honest. I don't know what it is specifically. I'm assuming it was a hotel, but there is so much money in Dubai. If you ever want like to get a window into what's going on in Dubai, watch the Real Housewives of Dubai. And you realize that there's a massive amount of money there, massive amount of opportunity but it's this really interesting cultural place where uh, I think a lot of people that had problems with certain people going to Dubai is that Dubai does have a lot of laws that don't protect LGBTQ plus and that some of the reality stars um, have been supportive of that community, but then go there. So there was a little bit of that backlash. And then also I just think it's like kind of a window into who at this point in time right now in February, January of 2023 is perceived as having a lot of power in the reality TV space based on their invitation to go there, which is almost like the old bachelor days when it was like, they all got invited to Vegas. Well, now it's like you get to go to Dubai. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I, I just saw them there and I'm just, you, you wonder why are they there? How did they get invited? But I guess it's kind of a pecking order well, thing. It's a pecking order thing, but also if you are a smart strategy player and you have a good agent, they probably all have similar agents, you're like, I need to go to Dubai because then I can get so much more content and I can also tag other people and share in their audience and like get my numbers up. Gotcha. Okay. I, I wanted to spend the last half of this podcast um, talking about something that you've taken up on your podcast by by doing a much deeper dive than I have into this, and that is the University of Ohio, Idaho. Gosh, I can't even speak. The four students that were murdered at the University of Idaho, and we know that uh, Brian Koberger was taken into custody, and in, I believe it was, mm -hmm. it, was, it was in December. So here's another story where, yes, I heard about it on the news. You're like, man, that sucks. And then you, I started hearing things about, yeah, they were murdered upstairs. Why two people were still downstairs? I was like, you know, and it, yeah. I, the same question as everybody else. How did that? How in the world does that happen? How do four people get murdered upstairs and the two people downstairs have no idea? So I was just like, okay, that's weird. And then the day uh, he got arrested, I watched the press conference where they didn't basically answer anything. Uh, everyone, all the news reporters were asking the right questions, but then. You know, the police department was like, look, active investigation can't answer that. And it's just like, OK, why are you even holding a press conference? <laughs> You're never going to answer anything, at least at that point. Since then, you have had a former FBI, a retired FBI agent named Jody Weber mm -hmm. on your show. And you have broken down. I think you've done six parts uh, with them in yeah. regards to this. So yeah. I guess my question is, I, I have a few and you're going to be yeah. informing me for the first time and people that have done a deep dive on this case probably know it already but there's probably people out there like me that just know it from the periphery and just know brian koberger arrested wazoo student and he may have been stalking one of them or whatever so right now where are we at in this process with this case 
Okay, so we know that he obviously has been arrested and we're waiting for June when more details will be unsealed. I think the the real first question is, is why should we care about this case? Because Lord knows there are a lot of murder cases. This is a captivating case because it's uh, set at a college and that there were four students murdered in one home. And most parents send their kids away from college and they expect them to come home with a diploma and that they will be fine. And there are so many people who go off to school and are at school now. And there's this presumption that if you're on a college campus or within a college community that you're safe. So there's that. Coupled with the person that has been arrested in this case is pursuing a PhD in criminology. So I think that in this current climate of people that are fascinated by true crime, it's as if somebody who is amongst us, who's just as fascinated in true crime, is actually not just watching and reading these these stories, but also calculating their own crimes. Mm. He was participating in online forums, just like the rest of us, for the weeks uh, after the murders were committed and before he was arrested. And almost being braggadocious, um, uh, taunting people, and, and, and apparently still is taunting people, uh, particularly law enforcement, who he has come into communication with even in prison. So there, there are two components there. There is this idea of, are our kids or are you safe if you're on a college campus? How could four kids in one home be murdered within 20 minutes? And then this idea of someone lurking and taunting and then, of course, stalking somebody for a period of weeks before they're murdered. A lot of people have also been questioning how it's possible, as you've said, um, in that short short time period and if two other roommates were in the home and they were not harmed. What we do know is this, is that he had been casing that home for many weeks Um, we do know that the murder was committed in the middle of the night. And we do know uh, after the affidavit was released that the one roommate, Dylan, actually saw him. Now, we don't know all the details of that. It was the door cracked and she just saw him through a crack. Did did he see her too? We were unsure of that. She said that she saw somebody masked um, and in all black, but he had that uh, bushy eyebrows. And, and that he left. We know that it was also several hours before 911 was called. So that is also perplexing to a lot of people and has been the subject of tons of speculation in Reddit threads and in online forums. How could it, one of the roommates not call authorities right away, especially when there was um, audio tape taken from uh, a ring or a, a camera where uh, you can hear what seems to be the screams of Ethan, one of the the kids that were murdered. How, why would it take so long? And so we're kind of waiting to hear more details come out, but what the FBI detective Jody Weber has kind of explained to me, and I've come to understand now is that we all have information bias now. Yeah. So we have all these, this piece, all these pieces of information, but if we were in our homes in the middle of the night, and someone came in and murdered the people within the home, and we came in contact with them, we could only assume that there is trauma, that uh, uh, 
of epic proportion. And we don't know if she went in to hide under a bed in a closet, if she was shaking, if she's had previous trauma that contributed to her waiting, if she was communicating with the other roommate, are you alive, are you downstairs? Uh, we don't know if she walked out of the room at any point and saw blood and became even more scared. So I think a lot of people are waiting to hear all the details. Ultimately, I think that people really um, follow true crime cases because we don't always have control of all the parts of our lives. And so with true crime cases, there's all a piece of all of us that wants to f figure out what happened in a puzzle. And then once we figure out all the pieces, we want justice for the people that were harmed. Um, and I think that we all just are upset that these kids, I mean, they're 20 years old, really. They were all living such happy lives. They're all um, really great friends and good people and, uh, and, and beloved by their family members could be murdered in the middle of the night and that this person could just drive away and for weeks uh, go on with their life. And also the fact uh, that so many of us have watched true crime documentaries, including like the Jeffrey Dahmer one recently, where you're trying to understand the makings of somebody, of a sociopath. And in the case of Brian Koberger, as mentioned, he's a PhD uh, candidate studying criminology. What we do know is that he was uh, heavy at one point in his life that he lost a bit of weight, that he in online post commented that he had an, a condition where you see white speckles. And what we now understand is that there are people that say a vegan diet can take away those speckles, but you have to be very diligent about your diet, which may be the reason that he dropped weight, um, but he still harbored resentment for those that he believed bullied him. He uh, obtained a degree, uh, a bachelor's in Pennsylvania at DeSalle's. He was a, apparently a very good student, but also fascinated by serial killers. And when he went into his master's program that he disseminated a survey asking former crim or excuse me, criminals, people that uh, committed murder about the crimes they committed and how they felt in one question before they committed the crime and as they committed the crime. So it's almost as if he was, uh, he had been studying cr criminals, studying serial killers and almost was trying to commit a copycat um, situation where he was like fantasizing about the victims and, and the perpetrators and taking pieces of each crime to commit his own crime. So it's just, a, a fascinating case and and ultimately i think that um what we all want and what we all hope for is that the lives of these young students so we're so ethan and Zana were girlfriend and boyfriend and they were found in one room and then maddie and kaylee were found in one room upstairs maddie and kaylee were best friends since they were 10 years old and kaylee had actually moved out of the house but had come back that weekend just to like hang out so uh, they were found in the, in the first room, um, and then Zana and Ethan were found in another. There was an, a, a DoorDash delivery that came in that period of time where Brian seems to have been inside the home. And um, there are questions about the, like, the specific timeline, but investigators know that it, it was in that period of time. Another interesting thing is that um, 
the sequence of events where they figured we were able to figure out it was Brian Koberg is really fascinating. And uh, the people grew very frustrated. And, and you had mentioned that you felt like there was nothing really said in that press conference. What was momentous about that press conference was that the local police department in Moscow had uh, immediately uh, synced up with the FBI. And in a lot of cases, we get frustrated because it's like a small town police department and they try to take something on themselves and we don't really get answers. In this case, they were overwhelmed. They reach out to the appropriate authorities and people really thought that they were there were no leads. So it's unbelievable when you look at the number of murders, uh, what they were, the, what they listed in an affidavit, and then the timeline of finding Brian Koberger in Pennsylvania and what we believe, and Jody will tell you in my episodes, is what they, what she believes was the sequence of events in the investigation. It's really actually quite quick. And so I think a big part of that press conference was, was to establish we have been tailing this guy for a couple of weeks. We knew pretty quickly. And this is um, this is a team of hundreds of people that have to the point where there was a shoe print. They have a whole t- a team with the FBI who specializes in shoe prints. The blood, it was complicated, too. There was a commingling of blood. This was a brutal murder. This was uh, a, a, a stabbing used with a very sophisticated, uh, like, warfare kind of knife where there was so much commingling that they were they had to basically take care of a very complicated crime scene um and ultimately they were able to arrest him in pennsylvania he drove his car back one last thing that is really fascinating too is you know we're all kind of citizen um detectives and i think it's really compelling two things the way that Jed Match was used in this investigation, uh, they were able to quickly take DNA from the crime scene and use it, uh, Jed Match, uh, to figure out that his, that it was his DNA based on that uh, technology. And also the, the way that his car, the white car was used in, or uh, they could see in neighborhood and street uh, video cameras and there are so many people, I have to say, in these online forums who have been so observant. And, and the police department in that press conference made a point of saying how grateful they have been to people who have given them tips and have ultimately really helped in the investigation. Um, and I just think that's a, like an homage to the, the people in that community and to the people in Pennsylvania who have, have helped law enforcement with this case, which is very complicated and, and just a complete tragedy. So I hope I've encapsulated all of that um, and why you need to continue to follow the case. And you'll know more in June. Um, there are lots of conflicts of interest things that we're kind of following right now. But I've had a couple, uh, six episodes thus far, and she worked for the FBI for 22 years. And I just think she's really it lays out for everybody how the investigation works and what they should be looking at. Oh, the last thing you need to pay attention to is they don't have the weapon, but they did seize materials from his apartment. And they said one of them is like a mattress cover with stains on it. So there's questions of like, did he cover the car seat with his, with the mattress sheet? Is there a place that he's been keeping the knife and the other things that may have had blood stains because he took a circuitous trip 
after the murder back to his apartment. He kind of went south in a big loop. And so there's questions. Did he use a storage facility? Is there maybe a cabin that he used where he's storing things that would implicate him more? Okay, there's a lot there, obviously, um, in that answer. Um, but there's a few things that I wrote down that I wanted to discuss with it. First off, just starting at the end there, knowing that this guy at some point after committing the murders drove from Idaho to Pennsylvania, at any point during that trip, he could have thrown the knife out the window. <gasps> oh, 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 wait, right? that's a big part, too. So he's oh. in two at two points of that trip, he's with his father in the car. He's pulled over. And there, and those two times that he's pulled over, they're in quick succession. Like the first one, oh, he was pulled um, over by cops. Like a, yes, oh. like one for tailing a car, and then quickly after. And it seems to me that the reason that they pulled him over was I, they had been tailing him for a while, and I think they told local authorities, "Can you pull him over and get like a body cam video so we can see if there are any marks on his hands?" Because the stabbings were so violent, and the and the the knife that they believed they that he used probably would have led to cuts on the back of his hand. And if, in the first video, it doesn't seem like you can really see his hands; like he's kind of hiding them. But then the second video, when they pull him thereafter, and also I should say, he looks terrified in the video. His father just seems like bewildered like why are you pulling us over but they ask pointed questions where are you going and he's like oh we're just going for thai food and then the father says oh we just left washington state he like he works there his father unknowingly is giving all this information but you can see that brian is just withholding like just trying to be very cagey with his answers but in the first video he's kind of holding like hiding his hands but in the second video it does look like there's a big line on the back of his hand as if there's a big marking as like a scar. And when he got to Pennsylvania, he was there for a couple of weeks and neighbors said that they noticed he was taking the trash out very late into the night while wearing surgical gloves. Okay. Interesting. Um, one thing about the roommate situation downstairs, um, this maybe is something that they don't know yet. And I think based on your answer, we probably don't know. And maybe this is something we don't find out more until June. So technically, these two roommates that were downstairs, there were two downstairs, right, at the time of the murders? Yeah. Okay. Yes. So this person that says, you know, I saw somebody in a mask, once that masked person was out of view or had left the apartment, do we know that the roommate at that point knew, hey, upstairs, my roommates are dead? Or do we not know how not long after? Okay, so we don't know that yet. We they, don't know they, that. They might have waited until the next no. morning. They may have just been like, wow, that was freaky. I'm going back to bed. And they didn't know until the next morning, which is why they didn't call police right away, because they didn't know the roommates were dead. Is that that's what we're kind of going off of? That's what we're waiting to hear. Okay. However, um, Jody does say that it's her experience in these cases that people react differently in, in traumatic situations. So we're not sure what we want to know is what was the communication she had, um, with the other living roommate. And that will all come out in the forensic. Basically they're going to take all their phones and do like a deep download. Um, so th that's something that really has stuck with people. I think that also humans, they're like, what could have done to save these kids? And they're trying to kind of, re you know, replay the scene in their head. Like, what if this had happened? Could this have been um, avoided? 
But I also wonder if Brian had only gone to the home to maybe kill one or two and that Xana, who had the DoorDash order, may have seen him. And then he thought, well, she I have to kill her because she's now a witness. Mm. And in, in his haste to leave the house, because I believe Kaylee's dog began to bark, that maybe he did may, perhaps he did see the roommate, but was like, I have to leave the, the house as quickly as possible. We don't know. So that's yeah. what we're kind of waiting for. Yeah. An OJ, an OJ situation. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's basically this is like um, similar to the, the nation's fascination with the OJ case. Um, the speculation and fascination, I think, is going to be similar to this. When he goes to trial, I believe the entire nation, if not the world, will be paying attention. Yeah. He And also, like, I, I've interviewed one of the women that survived Ted Bundy's attack. She was one of the sorority sisters at Florida State University. And when I look back and think about that interview, and if you want to listen to it, it's my interview number 150. She goes through and explains in the 15 minutes when he broke in, Ted Bundy broke into the sorority house and how he went up the stairs and he took the light bulbs out of each light, like unscrewed them and then he went to the first room and then across the hall to the next one. He went into Kathy Kleiner's room and his weapon of choice was a piece of wood because that was at the door and the door lock was um, broken. And so he picked up the wood, he goes up the stairs, he undoes the light bulbs, he goes to the first room, murders them, second room, murders them, he gets to Kathy's room. And his mode of weapon is the wood. And so he's beating Kathy and her roommate with the wood. But what saved them was that the curtains in their room were open, and one of the sorority sisters had come home from a date. And it was also in the middle of the night. And the, and the lights shone into the room, and he got spooked. And that was why he left the sorority house. So as I read through the details of this case, his fascination with other serial killers, the way it was in the middle of the night, he chose a house with a lot of roommates. I'm wondering if he modeled a lot of this case with the Ted Bundy, Florida State case. It just seems very, very similar. The other thing that I had in regards to this, and I don't think, again, we know the full details. I'm sure we'll find out more in June is this guy just didn't decide, I want to go kill some people tonight. I'm going to walk into this random apartment. Clearly, he had someone in mind. We think that there was a target, and then there was collateral damage once he got to the place to kill the person he was actually looking to kill. Now, while that may be the case, is there has there been anything linked to... Um, him asking her out on a date and getting rejected. Like, yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. Okay. Two things we do know. Well, we don't know, but there's a, a large assumption by law enforcement that, uh, and others, particularly people that are forensic psychologists, that he is what's called an incel, which is a, a, somebody that um, is angry because he can't have any sort of relationship with a woman. Yeah. And, and, uh, he apparently, Brian Koberger, was fascinated with another incel that committed uh, murder. Um, so there's that. And then People Magazine had reported that he had reached out to at least one of the roommates via DM on Instagram. But if you go to Brian Koberger's um, Instagram, you could just do a Google search of this, you will note that he followed two of those roommates, Maddie and Kaylee. They were in the top floor, the two blonde um friends 
They also, uh, there's also, again, back to that vegan diet. Remember I said he went on the vegan diet and he lost all the weight and because of the, the eye spec issue. Maddie and Zana worked at a vegan restaurant in town. So there's a question, and, and, and he, 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 they went to University of Idaho, but he worked at Washington State, but there's like, those schools are very, very close, close proximity. Yeah. So there's speculation, maybe he noticed them when he went to eat there. Maybe he first saw them there, and then he became kind of obsessed and began to not only kind of stalk them, but maybe in his uh, stalking of their home, began to pay attention to who else lived there, what their schedules are. One other interesting part to that is that if he had been planning this for some time, what he didn't account for is that the night of the murders was also a home game and that people were typically up a little bit later. They were coming home later. Hmm. So uh, I don't know how that might factor in. But based on his personality thus far, he seems to be a very braggadocious, obnoxious person. And I, I would imagine he's going to have a hard time being represented by a female attorney. And I, might, I think this might be a case where he ends up representing himself because he thinks he's smarter than everybody else in the room. He takes a lot of glee in this. He's really fascinated by serial killers. And at one point, he says something in his writings uh, online that, he he looked at his parents and didn't feel anything. So this is like an absolute like textbook sociopath. So that kind of leads me to my next question. And I only saw quotes, I think, you know, a couple days after he was arrested. Family, I think, of his spoke out and, you know, this is a tragedy. But obviously they're not going to immediately admit that their son did it. And they're going to defend their son and say, let you know, let the let the judicial process take place. Let's, let's, you know, innocent until proven guilty or whatever. I, I th- this is a case where it's clear that this guy did it, right? We're not going to find out later on that somebody else was involved or whatever. I mean, is it, is it definitely clear that this is the guy that did it? I think it's it? pretty clear. Okay. I think it's pretty clear. So yeah. now it's just a matter of convicting him where, you know, it, can something get lost in all this? Like the OJ trial, you know, became a trial about race versus it seemed like it was black and white. How did the prosecution screw this up? You can talk to Marsha Cross, you know, all day long. And she said, you know, and she'll say like, yeah, it. we just, they, the prosecution should have done a better job in, in that and not letting the trial get off the rails. Is there any way that this guy mm-hmm. somehow, I, we don't know, but is there any way well, in this situation the- he gets off? I think the one thing that we're we're going to pay attention to is it seems like his one of his sisters may be in one of these online forums. Uh, it's a Facebook group that I'm in, and she does. It's like an anonymous post, but it, it but it makes reference to he's my family, but then says our dad later. So it's clearly one of his sisters. But they they seem to drop this um, idea that there that he had a drug problem and that was the drug dealer that he met with that actually committed the crime. Uh, So I think that the prosecution's burden is, is ensuring that they don't, the defense doesn't do a successful job of uh, creating enough questions that would make people think maybe there's somebody else who was part of this crime. Yeah. 
I don't necessarily think they're going to go, well, Brian's not involved, but like, is there someone else and that they're getting off? Like, I, I think that might be the problem. Um, I think that law enforcement, particularly the FBI, um, feels like it's going to be an easier case if the weapon is found and like bloodstained clothes. But I think we can presume from what the sister said in online forums that that might be the defense's um, uh, modus operandi is to, to make people think that there was some sort of drug dealer that may have been involved and actually I, that he might even say they committed the crime, but he was this innocent bystander. So, I, I mean, kind of this all remains to be seen, but I would say if that's the one thing to watch out for, it would be that. That said, I would also say I'm always mindful that he committed the crimes. If he did commit the crimes, which we all kind of believe he did that his parents and his sisters, like their lives are destroyed much like the lives in some ways of the victims and their families. I mean, the victim's siblings for the rest of their lives are gonna be asked about the murder of their loved one for the rest of their life. Their lives will never be the same and neither will Brian Koberger's family. And so that when we are paying attention to this case, I think we all have to just be very mindful that they are very real humans that were murdered on November 13th and there are families that love them so much and they have to endure this for the rest of our lives. We go on to the bachelor and the housewives and all these other things, but this is very much a part of the rest of our lives. Yeah. I mean, this is a fascinating case. And like you said, once this thing does go to trial, I think it will be one of the biggest trials that we watch, um, you know, outside of, you know, Casey Anthony and OJ. I mean, some of the biggest ones that have ever, this is going to be watched by a lot of people. And sadly, I think people care because it's for white kids. If this was for black college students, would people care as much? Probably not. And yeah, that's the sucks. sad part, too. No, it In is. the same way that pe- people cared about Gabby Petito and, and that the, this needs to be a conversation we as a country have is why. Why do we care about white? Why do we care about white women right. getting murdered so much? Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. it is. It is definitely a thing because. You know, I like I said, I, I you know, I'm not going to sit there and watch court TV every day when this goes to trial, but I will probably read the recap of what happened that day on some site just to just kind of know because it, it, it is interesting to me. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think yeah, there's there's there is a lot of stuff here. And, you know, like I said, I there's one thing that popped up towards uh, the last thing that you were saying that it reminded me of something. And I don't know if this was confirmed. You probably know the answer to this. Um, after the murders had taken place, or maybe it actually was before, at some point, did he call into a podcast? Was that confirmed yes, to be did. him? Yep. Okay. It wasn't confirmed to be him, but Jody, who, again, is like retired FBI, she listened to it, and yeah. she said, Kate, it's absolutely him. Like, it just, but it's very much part of his personality character. Was like it pre-murder or post-murder? post-murder <laughs> what he was doing in these online forums and by the way if you look at the, the the one avatar he had for one of his personas is um papa roger and roger is in reference to that incel that committed murder but the avatar is basically almost like an ai version of his own profile picture i mean he was that uh bold and so he had in all these online forums actually been trying to blame fraternity brothers and he does, at points, 
give details of the crime scene. He talks in graphic detail about um, what happened, um, who the target was. He said, kept saying in these forums that the target was Xana. So the burden is on the investigators to see if that's true, or is he just playing with us all? That's the problem. He's like one of these, he's almost like a Ted Bundy where he's just like screwing with us, like laughing at us, which makes it even all the more aggravating. Um, but yes, in that one case, it sounds remarkably like Brian Koberger calling into a podcast. And if you listen to it, you can hear that the host of the show is remarkably uncomfortable. Now, of course, he doesn't know that it's Brian Koberger who's going to ultimately be uh, arrested. But the caller says enough for them to feel uncomfortable. And it's it's something that you should like Google to listen to. Was the was the call someone calling in him seemingly to talk about the case or was it just a call to yes. a Oh, okay. So he's actually talking about a case that he was probably the one involved the host in. Just, the host is talking about the case and then he's calling in and giving his insight. But the way he talks <laughs> about it, it's like, wait, you know, what, like, why do you seem to know so much? It's one of those things. This is the, that yeah, is why I'm telling you, this is very fascinating. It's like, He's so bold. He's in online. He's taunting people. In fact, in one of the online forums, he's like, I'm in Pennsylvania. You're never going to find me. Meanwhile, investigators are just waiting, right? They're plotting out. That's why I think if you watch that video of when he gets pulled over on the highway, I think there's a part of him that's like, oh, shit. Maybe they did figure it out. Like he's trying to like you can see it's like he's working through it. Yeah. You know what? Until, you, until you brought that up, I didn't of, even know. And because of the, the white car, they were able to do a search of that make of Hyundai cars. And then they come across his license and they notice that he had the bushy eyebrows. Well, remember Dylan, the one that saw him, she said that the, the, the person, the assailant, had the bushy eyebrows. Yeah, I didn't even know until you brought it up in the story. I had no idea that in and his, then, in and his then, drive back and home then he was they pulled got, over twice. Yep. And then they, got, then they got DNA from the trash. And then that's how they used Jedmatch to connect it to a relative to and the deduce it down to who he was it, it, the whole thing is fascinating but if you take it in parts it's all fascinating you can do a whole episode just on the technology behind getting the dna yeah i think it's basically a cautionary tale for those that are trying to commit murders like i think in the year 2024 2025 every crime is going to be figured out all these old unsolved cases i think we're going to find out what happened based on genetic matching from these sites and, and companies like Jedmatch. Really interesting stuff. Uh, and then, and then when, and when somebody's like, somebody just said to me the other day, they're like, well, I don't, I didn't do that. I'm not doing those DNA tests. So like, you know, I don't want to be involved because I'm like, yeah, but so, but all your other relatives do. So if you're committing a crime, someone will find you. It happened in a case in Pennsylvania. It was like a 25 year old case where this teacher was murdered and it turned out it was like a DJ in town. And they were able to use DNA, um, found the crime scene, and connect it to one of his relatives. And from that, do a whole investigation and deduce based on the age of the person they believed it was. And then get like like a cigarette butt or something and, you, and get DNA from it from like thrown out trash and find out it was him. It is pretty amazing. I mean, it's just... 
you you make you make it seem like yeah maybe maybe nobody should commit any murder ever again because you're not going to get away with it. Someone's going to find you're out. You're going to be you, listen listen fuckers. You're going to be found. <laughs> Pretty much, um, Kate. Thank you so much for coming on. Like you said. Um, oh, you, I love it. I love coming on. I love it. Thank you for all you do for the Bachelor and continuing to make it such a fun show to watch. And and all your love for all these shows. I know that you love competition shows just like I do. I love it all. Um, the you can check out your podcast at uh, the Reality Life with Kate Casey. Like you said, you've had six parts with retired FBI agent Jody Weber, so you can check that yeah. out on her podcast. So again, Kate, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it, and we will obviously be in touch in the future. Thank you. You got it. Thank you so much uh, to Kate. Um, like I said, the last half of that podcast I wanted to spend on the Brian Koberger case. I know there's probably a lot of you out there that have been really into this from the very beginning. Like I said, I've been on the periphery for all of it. The only thing that I really watched was the one day when they announced his arrest. I was like, okay, I want to tune into this to see. And, you know, they didn't answer a lot because they still said, hey, this is an ongoing investigation. We can't answer that. Can't answer that when they asked, hey, how'd you find out where he was? Did you have a word? Do you have a murder weapon? All this stuff. And whoever the police chief was just kept saying, this is an ongoing investigation. We can't answer that. So I didn't get a lot out of it there. And then ever since then, it's just anything that's been a headline. And maybe I've clicked on a few stories. Maybe I haven't. But so I wanted to bring Kate on. I knew she would have answers. And it looks like there isn't a ton that we can follow until trial in June. So, um, But I, I definitely will be curious about this, as I think a lot of people will be. I think this is going to be one of the really more talked about cases even though we kind of know this guy's guilty you just hope that the prosecution does their job and and can can get this guy convicted but um it's sad all around for everybody involved clearly the families uh, it's just devastating and as somebody who has a niece in college that lives in a dorm uh, I, I the one thing we didn't talk about with kate was the fact that this was an off-campus apartment it wasn't an on-campus housing i don't believe if I'm wrong, someone can correct me on that. But I believe it was an off-campus. It was very close to campus, but it wasn't off-campus. So obviously somebody has a niece that's in college. She lives on campus. But, you know, you read stories like this, and it's just freaky. And I remember my niece was home for Christmas when we were when all that happened. Uh, what the, I believe the, um, yeah, when the uh, press conference happened, my niece was home from Christmas uh, for that. And, you know, she's followed it. She's really been enthralled by the whole case itself. And, um, yeah, it's just it's just freaky, you know. Obviously, as Kate said, as a as a parent, you send your kid off to college and, you're, you know, you're kind of in a constant state of worry. You know, you, you hope that nothing happens, but you just you just never, ever know. So thanks to Kate for coming on and sharing that. I really appreciate it. Thank you all for listening. Please rate, subscribe, and review an Apple podcast, my daily roundup was posted a couple hours ago that should be on your reality steve podcast feed the sports daily is up that was posted about an hour ago and then tomorrow back with another uh daily roundup and then coming in the next couple weeks on this thursday podcast i'm going to be covering a new reality dating show and i'm going to be talking about the creator talking to the creators and the host behind it and it is a very interesting reality show we've seen 
iterations of it in the past, but this one is a little bit different. I've seen the first two episodes. It doesn't come out until February 14th. It comes out on Valentine's Day. I'll go over it all next week, but this is different, and I think it's something that is going to be, and I hope that a lot of you will get into it, and I hope a lot of you will follow up and, and watch it because in the first two episodes that I saw, it's just it's different, and you know, we'll get into all that next week. But anyway, just know the next couple of weeks we're going to be focusing on the at least on the Thursday podcast. We're going to be focusing and interviewing people that created and hosted a new reality dating show that launches on Valentine's Day. So, anyway, thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it, and I will talk to you tomorrow. See you.